0: Clean listeners, welcome to the 70th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we follow up on a big piece of the executive order signed by Governor Cooper back in January at NC and T State University. Executive Order 246. More specifically, we're talking clean transportation and how we're going to reach the governor's goal of 1.25 million EVs on the road by 2030. But as always, before we get into the details, we've got a few updates. What? All right, just a few updates here for our listeners because the past few weeks have been busy. First up, to follow up on a story we teed up ahead of our last episode, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management conducted a lease auction for the Carolina Long Bay wind energy area about 20 miles off the coast from Bald Head Island and the Wilmington area of the North Carolina coast. As a reminder, this area has the potential to provide 1.3 gigawatts of power, enough to cover 500,000 homes. Well, the winning bids have been announced, totaling more than $315 million. The two winners include Total Energies and Duke Energy Renewables Wind, While we don't expect to see turbines in the water in the immediate future, this is a good first step along the development journey. I've included an article with more information on the winning bids. And next up is the carbon plan. As we've been talking about for some time, as expected, Duke Energy filed their proposed draft plan with the North Carolina Utilities Commission on May 16th, outlining four different scenarios to reducing carbon within their generation fleet. At a high level, NCSEA and a number of our partners have some pretty glaring concerns with the information modeled and included in the draft plan. First up, of the four scenarios outlined by Duke, only one actually reached the 70% carbon reduction targets by the 2030 mandate. The other three pushed out the timeline to 2032 and 2034. Further, each of the scenarios also proposes significant new build-out of natural gas infrastructure with plans to construct over 2 gigawatts of new generation. Their justification for building these resources is that they can be converted to hydrogen in the future as we get closer to the 2050 date. We've seen this tactic before, though, not long after the introduction of the Renewable Energy Portfolio Standard, where Duke had proposed building new coal generation and then later converting to biomass, which never materialized, and instead we've had to implement mechanisms like securitization to retire those facilities early. There are concerns that we'd walk ourselves into that same scenario with new natural gas generation within Duke's fleet. Next up, the utility is also proposing new generation from technologies like small modular nuclear reactors, which have very little commercial viability at the moment and come with significant costs to ratepayers. Due to the lack of market availability at the moment, Duke is using that as a justification for delaying meeting the 2030 targets in hopes that this tech will be ready a few years down the road. On the other side of the coin, we see Duke hesitating to lean into commercially available, low-cost technologies on the market right now like wind and solar. In fact, in the proposed scenarios, we see Duke placing an artificial cap on deployment for both technologies with little justification as to why there's a limit on the total solar and wind deployed. In general, the scenarios paint a picture of favoring technologies that have large capital investment requirements such as natural gas pipelines and generation facilities, along with small modular reactors that guarantee a rate of return for the best interest of the shareholders instead of pursuing lowest-cost options that favor the ratepayers. NCSEA provides a more detailed analysis via a blog post we recently shared on our website, which we'll include in the show notes. Keep an eye out for next steps as NCSEA and others are required to provide a response to this draft plan by July 16th. In the interim, we'll be working hard to fully digest the filing while also outlining alternative modeling that meets the requirements of HB 951. Okay, on to the show. Let's talk clean transportation. I am incredibly excited to welcome our guest today, as I would consider her one of the foremost experts and key players in advancing a lower-carbon transportation future in the state. She's responsible for helping to facilitate the North Carolina Clean Transportation Plan administered by the North Carolina Department of Transportation, helping to ensure North Carolina is on the path to reaching a number of EV goals established by the governor, dating back to Executive Order 80 signed in 2018. Our conversation today will cover the process of drafting the plan, how you can get involved, and what to expect over the next decade as we see more and more lower emitting vehicles on the road. Okay, and with that, let's get into today's episode. Clean hey! energy. energy. Our guest is the Senior Advisor for Climate Change Policy at the North Carolina Department of Transportation, where she coordinates climate related transportation activities across NCDOT and works closely with the state's experts to help inform North Carolina's climate policies and programs, including the North Carolina Clean Transportation Plan. Prior to this role, she worked at the Nicholas Institute for Environmental Policy Solutions at Duke University on the climate and energy team, where she focused on the intersection of energy and environmental policy. In addition to her energy and transportation work, Our guest has over 13 years of consumer and small business banking experience and holds a Master of Environmental Management degree from Duke's Nicholas School of the Environment, a Master of Business Administration from the University of Michigan, and a Bachelor's degree from the University of California at San Diego. Friends of the pod, please welcome Jen Weiss, Senior Advisor for Climate Change Policy at NCDOT. Jen, welcome to the pod.
1: Hey, good morning, Matt. I am so excited to be here. I think I'm on episode 70, so I'm glad I finally made it on. Thank you so much for inviting me today.
0: And can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you ended up in this new role over at the North Carolina Department of Transportation?
1: Sure. That Yeah, I'd love to. And I'll keep it short. So I, as you said, I was with the Nicholas Institute at Duke University um, for about five years working on the climate and energy team. And in that work, I worked a lot with um, all sorts of different decarbonization strategies. So, you know, looking at energy efficiency, looking at um, decarbonization of the power sector, um, doing a little work in green finance, and then really started about two years ago to start diving into transportation electrification and just really, you know, enjoy the trends. It was a rapidly um, advancing type of technology, um, really fun to Discussions and so, um, when the uh, I saw a position open up at the Department of Transportation to uh, be the first of its kind uh, senior advisor for climate change policy, I just jumped at it. I thought this is the time to be in transportation. Um, It's exciting time to be here, and it's where I wanted to be.
0: And what a great time to make that move, given all of the momentum around electric transportation here in North Carolina. Get you know, given. Governor Cooper's Executive Order 80 and now most recently Executive Order 246. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit, which I know is consuming quite a bit of your time um, at DOT. Uh, But this role at DOT is is new to the agency and something that many people are, are very excited about given DOT's footprint in the state and ability to move the needle on greenhouse gas emissions and other clean energy related items. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing for the agency and the role of DOT in advancing some of the governor's clean energy and emissions related goals in the state.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure. So so my role at DOT is to kind of coordinate all the different climate um, focused activities that are going on within the department. And there are quite a few. And so um, I've been really excited just getting to know all of the different departments and divisions, um, what they're working on, and then coordinating them together. And it's a like you said, a great time to do this because of the clean transportation plan that Governor Cooper um, directed the the agency to put together. And so I'm excited to work with all of my internal uh, stakeholders to to do that. But also, this is a broad uh, stakeholder engagement, so working with external stakeholders as well. So um, this is really a time for me to to, to break down silos and start to think about all the different types of transportation activities that we're doing throughout the state and how we can develop a statewide plan um, to help us reduce emissions. and uh, move forward with clean transportation.
0: As many people are aware, especially since we covered the topic on an episode earlier this year, back in January, Governor Cooper signed Executive Order 246, which specifically outlined a directive for DOT to create a clean transportation plan in the same vein as DEQ creating their clean energy plan a few years back stemming from Executive Order 80. This is especially notable given that the most recent DEQ greenhouse gas inventory pointed to the transportation sector as now the largest emitting sector in North Carolina's economy. So can you tell us a little bit more about this directive in EO246, DOT's role in producing the plan, and the goals of creating this clean transportation plan?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned the clean energy plan because I think as a result of the clean energy plan that was put together by the Department of Environmental Quality, we've seen um, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions within the power sector, reduce substantially. And so, you know, when we talk about transportation sector being the now the lead emitter of greenhouse gases in the state, it's largely because the um, the power sector has reduced emissions. And so. One of the things that we hope to do with the clean transportation plan is kind of um, work together with the power sector um, to continue to advance the reductions in the power sector as we are electrifying the transportation sector so that the synergies between doing both of those at the same time will lead us to the goals of Executive Order 246. And so, in addition to developing the clean transportation plan, um, the governor also outlined two specific goals to uh, to the transportation industry. One is to increase the number of um, zero emission vehicles that are registered in the state to 1.25 million. Um, which is a stretch goal, but a very exciting stretch goal, because I think it's something that we can all get behind and work together to achieve. The second goal is to, um, is to have, by 2030, um, 50% of new car sales in the state um, be zero emission vehicles. Another stretch goal, but I think also just parallels the thinking of many auto, auto manufacturers and also people at the federal level of how we are going to achieve greater um, decarbonization throughout the, the state and throughout the country. And so, you know, the, the clean transportation plan itself is designed to be um, a, a very broad stakeholder engagement. And NCDOT will be leading it. I will be leading it. But we are not going to be the, um, the, the voice of it. We want the stakeholders to be the voice of it. So I'm coordinating activities in five different work groups that are going to be doing deep dives into different strategies to help us achieve the, the emission reduction goals. The zero emission vehicle registered goals and the sales goals um, and, and meet all the, the goals of Governor Cooper's.
0: I, I am curious, when, when you look at the Queen transportation plan, is this plan not only looking at the transportation sector across the entire state, but also looking internally at DOT itself? I mean, DOT operates a large fleet of vehicles here within the state. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, DOT oversees the second most amount of roads uh, behind Texas here within the country. So. The the agency itself has a large purview, so is there an internal focus as part of this uh, plan as well?
1: Yes, definitely. So it's internally focused. Uh, It's partnering with sister agencies um, throughout the state. It's it's also working with external stakeholders to to just make sure that we are looking at every different avenue that we can to decarbonize. I mean, as you said, there's many um, things that are already happening here. So we already have um, our state fleets are beginning to look at the transition to zero emission vehicles or alternative fuel vehicles as well, because this isn't just looking at electrification. Um, We have our transit fleets that we manage. Um, We're looking at that, but also working with the transit agencies throughout the state um, to help them look at ways that they can decarbonize um, their own fleets. We're working closely with the Department of Administration here um, at the the state level to look at the overall motor fleets um, that are out there. And I know they've put together their own motor fleet zero emission vehicle plan, working with them to help them um, achieve that too. So I think You know, when I say collaborative, I mean it very intently. It is a collaborative effort. It's going to take all of us together in order to reach the goals that were outlined in Executive Order 246. But um, I think by, by pulling everybody together, developing this clean transportation plan together, we're going to be able to get there.
0: So you mentioned collaborative process. You also mentioned stakeholder engagement as well. So that seems to be very intentional and I, I'm curious, what stakeholders will be involved? I know you mentioned some sister agencies, but thinking about stakeholders outside of, of government, um, what stakeholders will be involved and what does that involvement look like over the next you know, 15 months or so?
1: I will first say everyone is invited to participate and I hope that you, if people are interested in, in clean transportation or even if they're not and they just want to learn, I hope they participate. This is intended to be, like I said, very broad. Um, from the groups that have, have already reached out to join, um, you know, this ranges from environmental organizations to uh, local governments to uh, academic institutions to utilities. Obviously, we're getting a lot of um, input from different electrical charging um, infrastructure suppliers, as well as auto manufacturers and auto dealers, transit agencies, as I mentioned before. We have environmental justice groups. We have community-based groups. I think I'm probably missing a few, but again, we're being very intentional and in making sure that we are uh, hopefully inviting everyone to the table that wants to be at the table and able to participate and engage, because that's the best way that we are going to be able to develop this plan together.
0: Is it an invite only process for stakeholders or is anybody able to join and participate in these conversations?
1: Yeah, good question. And so um, it is is definitely everyone is invited to engage. And there's a couple of different ways that we can do it. One way that this is the most broad is we have a survey that's available on our website just to get feedback from people who have 10 minutes of their time that can sit down. Um, If you haven't already taken it, please feel free to visit our website um, and take that survey. It gives us just a good feel for kind of where people are coming from with respect to clean transportation. Um, the second more broad way is public information sessions. Um, we These are very broad. The first one was a webinar. We might have an in-person event, but these are very broad stakeholder engagements where we can just inform the larger community about the work that's being done and what we plan to do over the next coming months. Um, hopefully start to engage a little bit with with folks on these calls, but mostly these are information sharing. The third way is for people that really want to do deep dives, Uh, we're doing subject matter expert work groups, and so there are five of them. One is a um, zero-emission light-duty vehicle transition, so how are we going to make the transition for light-duty, which is passenger cars and and trucks? Um, The second is medium and heavy-duty zero-emission vehicle transition, so how do we take our delivery trucks, our our 18-wheelers, our buses, and other things, um, how do we transition those over to um, zero-emission vehicles? The third group is fleet transition. So you mentioned the state fleets before and the DOT fleet cars. So how do we look at these different fleets of cars that we have, not only within the state level, but also at local government level and private industries, maybe look at school buses how do we make the transition of those vehicles over to to cleaner fueled vehicles? The fourth is vehicle miles traveled, which is, you know, obviously, if you reduce the number of vehicle miles that you're even traveling, you reduce the amount of emissions that come from it. So um, we're looking at different ways to do that. And that could be looking at different transit opportunities, different rail opportunities, it could be looking at uh, more biking, more pedestrian, um, or maybe even non-vehicle options. So um, so a lot of work there just to reduce the amount of miles we travel to begin with, and then the last one is a very large group: clean transportation infrastructure. How do we build the infrastructure that to get us um, where we want to be with all these other four groups, right? So how do we how do we look for where the opportunities are, where the gaps are, and how do we build out our, our infrastructure? That's not only for electric um, charging stations, but that's also for alternative fuels such as hydrogen. Propane, um, compressed natural gas, whatever the fuels are that our um, partners are looking to use, we want to help to to figure out how to build out that network. And so, those five working groups are are going to be um, doing deep dives into those topic areas over the next six months and developing actionable strategies um, that we can be thinking about for the state. Um, Those action plans are going to be due by September 30th, and um, we're going to take all those actions coming out of those action plans and put them into the larger clean transportation plan. Along the way, we're going to have a couple more public information sessions to share the work of the, the working, working groups out to the general public, as well as having listening sessions. If we feel like there are groups that maybe aren't as engaged as, as they should be and, and we'd like them to be, we'll do some specific outreach to those groups to make sure they're aware of what's going on and get their input and feedback on it as well. I will say, and I don't think we mentioned this yet, that the, um, the clean transportation plan itself is due back to the governor's office beginning of April 2023. We had 15 months to put it together from what the um, executive order asked us to do. So we are well on our way to getting that done, but it is going to be a roll up your sleeves. Um, everybody jump in and let's get this done kind of an activity.
0: So, so yeah, you just alluded to the, the overall timing. Can you tell us what progress has been made to date? It seems like you've already kicked off the, the, the plan and the process. Uh, where are we at right now?
1: Sure. Good good question. So on April 1st, uh, we kicked off the, the clean transportation plan process in general. Uh, we had a, a great webinar that Governor Cooper and Secretary Eric Boyette, um spoke. Um, they did welcoming remarks. And then we kind of introduced the plan and the timing and what we were going to be doing. That is available on our website. There's a recording of it for anyone that missed it and wanted to see it. After that, we kicked off the work groups. And so we asked people um, to sign up for different areas if they were interested in being subject matter experts and wanted to commit to this fun six months together uh, to develop these action plans. Um, And we have groups for each of the five, at least 30 to 40 people. Some of them are more than that. So we've got a really active engagement in each of these working groups. Those will actually kick off on Thursday, May 5th. So in the in those sessions, we will be um, outlining kind of the the plans for the six months of work together. Uh, kind of different goals that we'll have for each of the groups. We will do breakout sessions, so each of the groups can start to really drill down into some of the challenges and opportunities within those uh, focus areas. Um, and then uh, we'll be setting up the next steps for the the, the meetings that will happen after that, um, so that everyone can um, get engaged with it.
0: Great. And w- in one area that I'm particularly interested in, you mentioned. Uh, a working group specifically focused on vehicle miles traveled and reducing vehicle miles traveled. And uh, an area that has garnered a lot of attention over the past year and a half, two years, is how do you subsidize or or, uh, find additional or new sources of revenue um, to compensate for lost revenue associated with gas tax? And so I'm curious if This is something that would come up in that working group meeting or something that may be addressed overall in the clean transportation plan. Or maybe if it's out of the scope of the clean transportation plan, we can talk about that on a future podcast episode.
1: Great question, Matt. Um, This question comes up quite a bit um, because obviously as um, you're reducing the amount of um, of fuel that is used, um, we don't get as much revenue for the state from the, the gas tax um, here's what I'll tell you about this. This is a, a something that the, um, the Department of Transportation, as well as um, the General Assembly, the legislators have been discussing for quite some time, the different opportunities for revenue sources. Um, it is something that the NC First report um, was put out last year, really dug into, and um, I know that there's a, a legislative body that continues to look at it. So the the discussion around that is going to run concurrently and parallel to the clean transportation plan but it is not going to be specifically a part of the clean transportation plan. We realize that questions like this will come up and so certainly we want to discuss them but we are going to move any any additional deep dive discussions into the revenue question itself, the discussion that's already happening.
0: Great. And I think it's you know aside from you know the the groups that are that are working on this, I think it is important to note that Electric vehicle drivers in the state already do pay $130 registration fee each year to help make up for the loss of that gas tax revenue uh, within the state of North Carolina. So I think it is important to note that. All right, back to the clean transportation plan here. Uh, after recommendations are developed through the planning process, what does action look like? How will these recommendations move into an implementation phase here within the state?
1: As I mentioned before, NCDOT cannot do this alone, right? And so this is why we are so excited to be engaging with so many different partners. My hope is what will happen throughout this process as we're developing our action plans for each of the work groups, there will be partners, key partners that step in and to, to tackle it and say, this is something we'll take on and we will implement. And so our idea is that we will identify those key partners as we are working through the different recommendations and solutions. And then the implementation phase, um, they will be the ones that will move them forward. I did wanna say a a couple of things about just strategies and things that are already going on in North Carolina. Um, We realize there are many, many things and many different partners that are already doing things and moving things forward. The clean transportation plan is not intended to slow any of that down. It's actually intended to kind of amplify it a little bit and help for the discussions to happen between groups maybe that haven't been talking about it in the past. But certainly there may be things that happen before the clean transportation plan is even finalized. And that's okay, And that's a good thing. We want to make sure that we're uh, making sure that everyone is learning about the different things that are happening and able to have input to them if they want to.
0: Aside from facilitating the, the clean transportation plan process, and actually, you know what, I'll, I'll take a step back. When we talk about implementation, you know, we saw with the, the clean energy plan with DEQ, a number of the recommendations that came out of that clean energy plan ended up making it into HB 951 that was passed last year and now in various associated dockets down at the North Carolina Utilities Commission. Uh, so it's great to see that plans like this have already led to uh, various phases of implementation um, in policy and regulation. And it would it will be very interesting to see, you know, what comes about as a part of the clean transportation plan process here in North Carolina. So, you know, in, in ushering in the the clean energy transition and uh, moving us closer to electric transportation goals established by Governor Cooper here in North Carolina, NCDOT plays a large role in you know distributing various funding sources to help with things like EV charging infrastructure to continue to move uh, the conversation forward and continue to help with deploying additional EVs on the road in the state. So can you talk a little bit more about DOT's responsibilities in terms of distributing these funding sources here in North Carolina? And are there any initial insights you can share with us about those funds and how they'll be distributed and when they'll be distributed?
1: Sure. I can tackle some of those. (laughs) Some of them are to be determined, um, but things change every day. Yes. The biggest thing that we are focused on right now at DOT is the National EV Infrastructure um, Program, formula-based funding that's coming from the Federal Highways Administration as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, So, the Nevi, we call it lovingly, the Nevi funding um, is is coming to us. Uh, like I said, formula based. Uh, North Carolina expects to receive about 109 million over five years to develop EV infrastructure, um, fast charging EV infrastructure along our primary travel corridors. So think, you know, your I40s, your 85s, 95, 77s. Um, so this is this is intended to help um, with the administration's goal to build out a national EV charging infrastructure so people can get from point A to point B and not worry about how they're going to get a charge. So we will be developing a plan to uh, deploy that. Um, fast charging infrastructure using the federal funds. A state plan is due to the FHWA Federal Highways Administration by August 1st of this year. So that's coming up very quickly. So we are working internally um, and with partners to develop that state plan for how we will efficiently and effectively deploy those funds. Did want to mention one thing about those funds, um, because it is intended to be along the travel corridors, we are taking a close eye at where we can make that equitable as well. Um, we want to make sure that we're looking in some of our rural counties um, some of our counties that maybe don't have any infrastructure today, so that this funding is is applied throughout the state and is, and can be utilized by everyone. Um, so that's one of the lenses that we're using um, for this, um, this infrastructure. So state plans due August 1st. And um, after that, after we get approved by the FHWA, um, we expect to be able to start um, deploying the funds in, I would guess, by the end of the year.
0: And speaking of uh, funding focused on EV charging infrastructure, DEQ right now has been uh, the the lead on distributing VW settlement funds here in North Carolina. So I'm curious if there's any sort of overlap collaboration or lessons learned from how DEQ has been distributing those VW settlement funds to what will happen with these NEVI funds here in North Carolina?
1: Yes, all of the above. Yes, we've been we've been working very closely with the VW team. Um, They have got a very, very nice process in place. Um, And so they are are been generous with their time um, and their expertise and been um, getting us up to speed on what they've been doing. And as you said, you know, the best practices of what they're already doing. So I would expect that we will be taking a lot of pieces from what they're already doing and utilizing that when we do when we launch the Nevi funds. Um, to, to your earlier point, we've been talking to the VW settlement team um, since they started their first phase and work very closely with them on their DC fast charging um, where they're placing them. So they use the same travel corridors that we do and so we'll be very consistent in where they're placing their um, their chargers as well as where we would be deploying ours.
0: And one thing that you had mentioned in, in the conversation about uh, charging and siting and of those charging uh, of the charging infrastructure is ensuring equitable access and ensuring that some of the infrastructure is deployed in rural parts of the state or maybe in non-traditional communities. One of the larger strategy areas identified as part of the, the clean transportation plan is ensuring e- equitable access to clean mobility options. So can you talk a little bit more about That overall consideration that you're taking into account in developing this plan.
1: Um, Yeah, what I didn't mention before was that um, throughout all five of our work groups, we have cross-cutting themes, and equitable access is one of those themes. And so, for every um, recommendation and um, just solution that that uh, stakeholders are coming to the table with, we will be taking a lens to: Will this provide equitable access? And if it doesn't, what can we do to change it so that it does? Part of that, though, is not just us thinking we know what needs to be done. Um, we also want to go out into communities um, and, and learn what are their needs? What are the things that they are challenged with every day? How can this clean transportation plan um, make things better for them there? So there's kind of you know, two part to it is getting the input and the feedback from the actual communities that are experiencing it and then making sure that we develop our solutions around um, making improvements um, to help them. So I want to talk a little bit more about the partners that we've been working with. I think that's important. Um, you know. And you would ask me about the EV infrastructure and whether we'd been working closely with the VW team, and we certainly have. But I think there's others that are also um, deploying charging infrastructure, and that can include the utilities, um, not only our investor-owned utilities, but also our co-ops and our municipal utilities. And so we're working closely with them to learn more about where... They might be installing their own chargers, um, so that we're not duplicating efforts and that we're actually building out the network together. Um, in addition, you know, Electrify America and other private um, entities are installing their chargers. So, working very hard to figure out where those are, are happening, what the strategies are. So, again, we're working together. Um, so, I think that's a really important key. Um, and to any uh, listeners out there who who might be you know thinking about um, you know deploying EV infrastructure, would love to, to talk more. To learn where where you might be headed with yours. Um, I think that's an important part of this. The other part that I didn't mention and I should is that we're working very closely with the Clean Cities groups um, because they do have been doing a lot of this work at the local level and so they understand what's happening at the local level what the needs might be and what the strategies are and so coordinating with them to kind of uh, bring the regional perspective um, to the table is really important and so um, they are another key uh, stakeholder that I didn't mention before but I should have.
0: And with the Queen Cities Coalition, I know that they are tracking uh, EV charging infrastructure across the state and aggregating that data as part of the Alternative Fuels database. And they've also been really focused on building out clean transportation corridors throughout the state as well, which uh, directly aligns with what you were talking about with EV infrastructure, with the new NEVI funds. And so the Queen Cities have absolutely uh, been a great partner here in the state of North Carolina. And- You were talking about, you know, working closely with all of these partners to get a better sense of where charging infrastructure was going to be deployed. And I think a big piece of that um, is DOT's own, you know, tracking and uh, having data on hand related to EV charging infrastructure already in the ground, but also EVs that have been registered within the state. So having that data, has that helped to inform some of the conversations that are taking place with the clean transportation plan and the rollout of how these funds will be distributed here in the future as well?
1: Yeah, so we're definitely looking at where um, the electric vehicles are registered in the state. And and as we talked about before, that's continuing to increase um, every day, it seems. So we definitely will take a look at that. We also want to look at, um, you know, where are people traveling? So we have data that can tell us which corridors get the most traffic. Um, and so, be thinking strategically about putting putting our chargers where where those where the most trafficked areas are. We also are taking, like I mentioned before, um, the the equity lens. We want to look at the different maybe counties or zip code level where um, there might be um, you know, pockets of poverty that we might want to to try to build up a little bit. I didn't mention workforce development before, but it is a key component to the entire um, clean transportation plan as well as NEVI. Um, you know, how do we make sure that uh, minority and women owned businesses also are able to um, participate in this. And so I'm um, doing a bit of outreach to those groups as well to let them know. So, you know, when I say broad and collaborative stakeholder participation, I really, really mean it. And I'm trying very hard to make sure I'm identifying all of the groups that want to be a part of this. I'm sure I'm going to miss some, but I, I welcome people giving me suggestions on, on things, people that I may have missed.
0: And and there are a lot of stakeholders uh, in the space from the private sector to the public sector. And I think a lot of people are very passionate and interested in seeing us meet those EV related goals set out by Governor Cooper here in North Carolina. So you definitely have your work cut out for you over the the next, you know, 12 or so months. And I know a lot of our listeners are very much looking forward to the, the final clean transportation plan and seeing additional EV charging infrastructure in the ground here in the state as we start to see more electric vehicles on the road. So, Jen, it was a real pleasure talking to you today on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast and looking forward to having you back to tell us a little bit more about the final recommendations coming out of the plan next year. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Matt. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I would be very excited to come back and talk to you about all the great recommendations that all, all the stakeholders are going to come up with. Thanks again.
0: My key takeaway from today's episode is the importance of stakeholder engagement to ensuring that all voices from across the state are represented in drafting a plan that is inclusive and comprehensive to ensure that North Carolina is a leader in not only the Southeast, but across the country in clean transportation deployment. As you heard from Jen, there are many different ways to plug into the process and we'll include a link to the plan so that you can find out more and how to become involved yourself in the show notes. I'm also incredibly optimistic about the results of this plan given the intentional nature of creating a collaborative process to make sure that this plan truly represents the direction the market is currently taking while providing significant economic opportunities for the private sector, public sector, and anyone else that may be involved in the transportation economy. As we've heard, we've got a long way to go Reaching the goal of 1.25 million EVs on the road by 2030, but given the recent trends, I think we're tracking nicely to hit that goal. So make sure to keep listening, as we'll be sure to digest the final plan when it's released early next year. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 70 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.